look at that as a transitional book in the Bible. It's written by Luke, the loved physician. And it's often referred to as the sequel to the gospel. At the end of the gospel of Luke, we'll find the ascension of the Lord Jesus as he is carried off into heaven. And Luke turns the page and begins to write the book of Acts. And he tells his friend Theophilus, uh, that the Lord had returned, and from now on the Holy Ghost would be the one that would be leading them. And uh, this ushers into what we consider the age of grace, or the church age, the current dispensation that we live in as well. Again, go back and study in the book of Acts, chapter number 2, we'll find at the beginning of the church there, at the day of Pentecost. And as we continue to read through the book of Acts, you'll find that the gifts and the abilities that were given to the apostles were there, uh, given to them by the Holy Spirit. And then we find a historical narrative of the nation of Israel as you continue to read. And then there are different conversions of various different people groups as you continue to read through this book. Then we come to the beginning of chapter number 8. where We find that Saul of Tarsus just witnessed the death of, uh, excuse me, of Stephen, which is the first martyr of the church. And Saul again begins to wreak havoc on the church. All the uh, apostles, the disciples are, are spread or scattered abroad, as the Bible says. But one thing that we can understand and learn from this scattering is they continue to preach the gospel. They don't stop. They don't get scared and say, well, I'm not going to say anything, as many people often do. Yes, they were scared, but they said, you know what? I'm not scared enough that I'm going to quit. And they continue to spread the gospel. They continue to preach everywhere they go. And as we come to Acts chapter 8, verses 4 through 8, uh, Philip is preaching and performing miracles in a region that nobody liked to go to. Again, if you were a Jew, the worst place in the world you could actually go would be to Samaria. And that's exactly where Philip went to. He decided, uh, this is where the Lord is leading me, and that's where I'm going to go. I'm going to deliver the message to the people that nobody likes. Again, if you want to remember and understand, the Samaritans were part Jewish and part Gentile. So this is why they were looked at as dogs, according to the Jews, because they were half-breeds, if you would. They didn't like them. They said, uh, we don't like you because uh, you once were supposed to be followers of the Lord, or, uh, and now you're not, and you're, you're going your own way, and it's half in and half out. We probably know a lot of people like that today. Yes, they're half in the world and half in church. They're half in their thinking of following God and half of following everybody else. And there's not a lot of people that want to go to those types of people. But you know what? They still need to hear the gospel. Whether they're saved or not, whether they're a part of the church or not, doesn't matter. Everybody needs to hear the gospel. Everybody needs to understand that. And Philip here is saying, you know what? I'm going to go to Samaria. This is the direction the Lord is leading me, and I'm going to take them that message. So let's begin here reading in Acts chapter number 8. We'll begin reading in verse number 9. Acts chapter 8, verse number 9. But there was a certain man called Simon, which before time in the same city used sorcery and witchcraft. The people of Samaria, the people of Samaria giving out that himself was some great one, to whom they all gave heed from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the great power of God. And to him they had regard because of the long time he had bewitched them with sorceries. But when they believed Philip, preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Then Simon himself believed also, and when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and wondered, beholding the miracle and sign which were done. In this text we'll find, uh, as well as the following verses, discover four amazing truths in the life of a man by the name of Simon uh, the Sorcerer. That was my sound effects. 
<laughs> Simon the sorcerer. It's not somebody you think, wow, this is not somebody I want to follow. It's not somebody that sounds like it would be a very good individual, maybe a good influence in my life. But you know what? The Word of God put him here. Identified him by name. So this gives us an understanding this really happened. This was not a parable. He's named. So again, we find here a sorcerer that God used. And he continues to use today. So we're going to learn some things about Simon the Sorcerer this morning. But let's have a word of prayer as we look at this message titled, Success of the Faithful. Success of the Faithful. Lord, again, we do thank you for the opportunity to meet together, to open up your word, to look at it, and see the examples you've given us to learn from. I pray that you would help us, Lord, be obedient to what your word says. Help us to identify the things that the Holy Spirit touches on. And again, to follow through with your will in our lives pray that you would help me this morning, again, deliver this message as you would have me to do, and help our hearts to be open and receptive to it. We love you, and again, we thank you for all that you've done. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we look at this message, ask yourself this question, how do you define success? Probably every one of us have a different idea, a different mentality of what we would consider a success is. Think of it as this is something that many people, again, they, they wonder, am I doing right? Am I doing wrong? Am I heading towards success? Success is often defined as the accomplishments of an aim or purpose. So whatever you're directing to, your, your focus in what you're trying to do, are you achieving that? That would be considered what we would think would be success. Many of you could probably think back on maybe some of the poems that were written at one time. One of them was this, "'Tis a lesson you should heed, try, try again." You've heard that poem before? Then it goes on to say, "'And if at first you don't succeed, get a bigger hammer.'" No, try, try again. Uh, again, it's something that we need to, to think about and continue to do. Mark Twain said, "'The secret of getting ahead or succeeding in your purpose.'" is getting started. That's one of the hardest things for anybody to do. Yes, I want to do this, and I want to do that. Have you started? Oh, well, no. Well, then you're never going to succeed. You're never going to do it if you don't start. And that's got to be one of the hardest things for anybody to do, is to start. You will never succeed in anything if you never try it. Some people think that they'll never succeed spiritually, uh, so why should I even try I'm never going to be like this person. I'm never going to be like that person. So why even do it? What is our purpose spiritually in our life? Is it to be like someone else? No, the Bible says that's not wise. We are to measure ourselves against another person because that's not wise. We are to measure ourselves against the perfect example of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are to follow Him and do what He wants us to do. We are not to measure again against other people, against other ideas and thoughts. Think about what God has for us. Focus on that and start it. Doing that. So let's look at a measure of success in this idea of the man named Simon the Sorcerer. Again, we find number one is just that. Simon the Sorcerer. I'll give you a simple number one there. Simon the Sorcerer found in verses 9 through 11. Here Philip the Apostle, or sometimes as he's referred to as Philip the Evangelist, uh, was preaching in Samaria, uh, Samaria and came across a man by this name of Simon. Simon was one that was doing some things that probably we wouldn't want to be associated with, so to speak. We read in verse number 9 that he was a sorcerer. He used sorcery, he used magic, he used witchcraft to try to bewitch or to dazzle and amaze the people. 
This is nothing more than just a way to charm people into believing what you want them to believe. Again, there's no such, uh, uh, such people that are focused on this that are doing what they should know they do. Uh, again, oftentimes we get away from things because of what other people say. And this is what Simon was trying to do. He was trying to get people to, to follow him. Again, we have no doubt that Simon was doing these things and it was very dangerous and very demonic. Sorcery and witchcraft is not something to mess around with. Oh, it's just the kids' imaginations. No, it's not. There's more to it than that. Uh, again, we often some think, well, it's just the, the sleight of hand. It's the illusionist that can hide things and do... Yes, th th that is some of it. But there's more to it than that. There are some that go down a dark path. There are some that do things outside of what we would consider more in the demonic realm, if you would, with this idea of witchcraft and sorcery. And this is what we would find here with, with Simon as well. Look back up at verses 6 and 7, if you would. It says, And the people with one accord gave heed unto these, those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits, crying with a loud voice, came out of many that were possessed with them, and many take, taken with palsy, and that were lame, were healed. So we see, again, there's a lot of evil spirits inside of this city. So I'm convinced that Simon, again, was just one of Satan's pawns, using him to keep people spiritually at bay, to keep their spiritual awareness in check so they're not following the Lord. They're not hearing the things that they should be hearing. Everyone thought Samson, or excuse me, Simon was good, that he designated himself as being great. Again, the end of verse number nine tells us that giving him, giving out that himself was some great one. When I read this, my mind began to think of all the famous uh, magicians that were out there. How did they always introduce them? The great Houdini, the great David Copperfield, the great David Blaine, whoever it was, it was always they would identify as being great, didn't they? Well, that's what we find here with Simon as well. Is Simon the great sorcerer? Again, it's all about the greatest. And if I'm the greatest, if I'm the best, then I'm revered and loved by all from the least to the greatest, as that verse said. Satan wants our eyes to be on anyone and anything else except God. He wants us to make sure that we are distracted so much that we want nothing to do with what God has or what his word says. This is why when we take time to, to maybe open up our Bible, you ever wonder why uh, somebody will knock on our door or the phone will go off or whatever. Things get distracted when that happens. Why? Because Satan don't want you in the Bible. Satan tries to distract you every way he can. Uh, he's, a, he's good at it, by the way, because it's always that one thing that will get you distracted. We've got to learn to focus, to, to get ourselves where we need to be, and again, to put away those distractions and think about what is it that God would have for me today? What is it that God wants me to give right now? This is why we have a hard time in church. And I say that as I'm counting the ceiling tiles. Now, that one needs to be fixed. I don't like that one. That light doesn't work. You ever wonder why those things happen? Yeah, not everybody's looking at the ceiling, right? That's exactly how Satan works. Why is it we start thinking about lunch? It's not 12 o'clock yet. But that's exactly what Satan wants us to do. Thinking about this. Think about that. Now I've got your minds all going everywhere, but it should be, right? <laughs> but again, it happens to us in church. It happens at home. It happens everywhere we go. So again, we've got to learn to, to, to tone out those things and tune in to God. 
But this is exactly what happens. Uh, Satan used Simon to say, look how great I am. Look at all the, the things that I've done and how wonderful I am. Simon even deceived others to thinking that he was God. Verse number 10, this man is the power of God. Simon was given the attribute of God, the all-knowing, the all-powerful God. And we've seen this even throughout history up to this point. There's a variety of names I could mention this morning who thought they were God. Charles Manson was one. David Koresh. Jim Jones. And the list goes on and on of all the different people who identified, who thought they were God, and people followed them. Makes you wonder, how in the world did they follow them? Don't they know their Bible? No. And that's the key problem. People don't understand Scripture. They don't get into the Word. They get easily pulled away by their charismatic attitude and everything else instead of following God. This was Simon the sorcerer who deceived and uh, used sorcery to, to hinder the people for many years from knowing the real God. And as we come to verse number 12, we see the all-important word, but. You know, I love going through Scripture and finding this word, but. It's there as a conjunction to introduce two contrasting clauses. And that's what we find as we come into verses 12 and 13. Point number two this morning is the supernatural power of God. The supernatural power of God. Look at verses 12 and 13 with me again, please. But when they believed Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God, in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized both men and women. Then Simon himself believed also. And when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and wondered, beholding the miracles and signs which were done. Again, verse number 12 starts off with but. Again, there was a lot of things saying that Simon was doing all these things, but when they believe. But when you believe. What an important word in that verse. Although the city had been entrenched with sorcery and witchcraft, God's power was able to overcome all of it. Philip began preaching the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus. What was he preaching? Basically, a salvation message. The broad term there, the kingdom of God, again, is refer referring to heaven itself. Uh, again, Philip was presenting to these Samaritans the truth of eternal life in heaven only through the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is something we need to continue to echo today. Uh, again, Acts chapter 4, verse number 12 is a familiar verse. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. There's only one name that we can call on for salvation, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. Salvation, again, as we know, is simply the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, placing our trust, our faith, on His finished work and Calvary. That's the only way we get to heaven. That's the only way that God has provided for us to get saved. It's not through our good works. It's not through giving our money. It's not through going to the mission field, as some, may, uh, again, are doing. That's not going to save anybody. It's only through Christ asking Him to forgive us and save us. There are so many false religions out there today that, that teach anything imaginable. But yet, as we follow them and you look at them, it all points back to me getting the credit. This is why Titus chapter 3 and verse number 5 is very important. Not of works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy, He saved us. It's nothing that I've done. It's not because I'm great. It's not because I got my suit on. It's not because I shined my boots. I didn't. Uh, but it's because of what God has done for us. It's His mercy. It's His grace that gives us and offers us salvation. Philip began preaching the name of Jesus and His eternal home in heaven, which demonstrated the power of God. 
1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse number 12 tells us, It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. The same power that, again, Samaria had and needed included Simon. According to verse number 13, no one is ever too far away that God cannot save them. There's a lot of people today that say, well, you just don't understand what I've done. You don't understand where I've been. You don't know what I've been through. You're right, I may not. But God knows what you've been through, and God is still able to save. Because of this salvation, Simon wanted to stay with Peter. The text says he continued, or excuse me, with Philip. It says he, he continued with Philip. This was a, a sign of true salvation, I believe, and repentance. You know, he could have stayed there and faked it. He could say, yeah, sure, I'm saved. And as they left, he could have begun to, to preach and teach something different. Because, again, he made a profession, right? Everybody could have said, hey, yeah, well, Simon, yeah, look, he changed. And he could have made up something completely different. But he didn't. He said, I want to continue to go. I want to follow you. I want to be a true disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, this is one of those areas that many people struggle with who have had family members or friends that at one time said that they were saved, but now they are no longer following the Lord. And I'm not saying that everyone who drifts away from God is not saved because I've been at that point in my life. But each depth that I took away from God, there was conviction that was brought in. There was conviction on my life on what I was doing and what I was doing wrong. That's the difference between salvation and those that are not saved. God's conviction. Sadly, many drift away from God, and when their conviction comes, because of their sin, they blame God. In reality, God is simply trying to correct them and bring them back to where they need to be. Simon didn't want to stay in Samaria. He wanted to stay right beside Philip and be a true disciple of Christ. And this should be our desire as believers as well, to stay as close as we can to God, to find what His will is for our lives and to be faithful in doing that. I want my life to be filled with with other strong believers, with other Christians that will, again, encourage me as, as I drift apart or go away or, or whatever the case, I want them to, to bring me back. I want them to encourage me as we are going along in this life trying to serve the Lord Jesus. This is what the writer of Hebrews was trying to identify in Hebrews chapter number 10. Turn over there, if you would, with me. Hebrews chapter number 10. There's one verse that we so often read, but... We need to stop and think about the rest of the verses. Hebrews chapter 10, begin reading in verse number 23. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23. says, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as ye see the day approaching. This is one of the main reasons we come to church. To help encourage one another. To help us grow in our faith. To uh, help us to continue to fight the good fight of faith. And to be here. To encourage one another. Because we're not going to get it in the world. We're not going to get it from those that are outside this building. This is where we need to give encouragement. So if you're here this morning, encourage somebody. Don't expect to sit back and say, well, I'm waiting for them to encourage me. No, you be an encouragement. Because usually when you're trying to encourage somebody else, you get more encouragement back than you ever thought. 
Hebrews chapter 20, or excuse me, Proverbs chapter 27 and verse 17, our memory verse for this week is iron sharpeneth iron, so man sharpeneth the countenance of his friend. It's great to, to have a friend there that will be there to encourage us, to help us as we're going through difficult times in our lives, and go through our, our good times to celebrate with us. But it's great that we can read how Philip here shared the message of salvation with Simon. And this salvation compelled him to want to stay with Philip. But I want you to think about this, though. We have that same power today. I will say that we may not have the same power that the, uh, the apostles were given here in the book of Acts because, again, these types of miracles were performed by specific people during a certain portion of time because that's what God had established through this transition. But I will say that we have that same power of God in our lives today. We have the same Holy Spirit today that they had back then. We have the same Holy Spirit today that, uh, again, helped all the different uh, disciples and apostles as they were going through this New Testament period in their life. We have that same power of salvation in our life today. Again, it's something we don't rely on. It's something we don't focus on. But we do understand and know that the same God we serve today is the same one that Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all those from the Old Testament, and even in the New Testament, served. But what I want to tell you again is, is important that we need to learn to rely on that power. How often do we stop and think about the power that God has given us, the things He's trying to do through our lives and help us? God wants to pour, perform great and mighty miracles. He wants to do great things in your life and for you. This is why it's important that we surrender our life to Him. So we can be strengthened spiritually. And before we do that, again, we've got to understand salvation is for all. There are some who have done this and some who have slipped away from God. Without us being grounded in our faith, without us studying the Word of God and, and finding what the Bible has for us, it's easy for us to fall away, to ignore our spiritual understanding. And this is what we find with Simon in verses 18 and 19. Spiritual ignorance of Simon. The spiritual ignorance of Simon. Look at verses 18 and 19 with me, if you would, back in our text. It says, And when Simon saw that through laying on of the apostles' hands the Holy Ghost was given, he offered them money, saying, Give me also this power, that on whomsoever I lay hands, he may receive the Holy Ghost. The closer we draw to the Lord... And his people, the more blessings we receive from him. The more understanding we have of scripture, the more it impacts and infiltrates our lives. If we have heard it many times before, that the, the more you put in, the more you can get out. The more of God and his word we put into our lives, the more that will come out in us daily as we try to live for him. Our words and our actions begin to reflect more and more of what the Bible says. We share more and more of how God works in our lives and give answers with more spiritual insight. Simon had just gotten saved. Again, he is witnessing God's power through the apostles. This is not the ability of Philip. This was not something that Peter and John were able to bring with them. It only came from God. This is what I want in my life. I want others to see God living and working through me. I want people to notice something different about me that I can point them to Christ. Every believer should have that same desire. 
Every believer should want God to be exalted in their life so people can look at me and say, I see Christ in you. Not that I'm to be honored and glorified. Not that I'm to be exalted, but I can point people to the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're saved this morning, you must be a witness, again, of the life-changing power that has happened in your own life. That is our example. That is what we are to tell others, our own story. Because you know the sins you've committed. You know everything that you've done, and you're able to share that with other people. Psalm 66, 16 says, Come and hear, all ye that fear God, and I will declare what he hath done for my soul. Hey, that's what I want to do. Hey, everything that God has done for me, let me tell you about it. Jeremiah had said that it was a burning fire shut up in his bones, and he couldn't keep it inside. He wanted to share it with other people. The apostle said in Acts chapter 4, and verse number 20, that we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. That should be our desire. That should be what we're doing as well. I know God has changed and done in my life. I know all the, the sins I've committed, yet He has forgiven me. And I want other people to see that passion and that power. Simon witnessed God's power, and he wanted what the apostles had. He wanted it so bad that the Bible says he offered them money, saying, give me also this power. Did he want this great power to go around telling others and showing them how great he was? Maybe. I mean, he was a, a sorcerer, a con man, if you would, prior to this. But I'm thinking more of it's because of the gift of salvation that he had just received. Again, the indwelling Holy Spirit of God was overflowing in his life, and he wanted to share it with everyone else. I would imagine Simon would have seen some poor people in his time. Again, uh, in sorcery and witchcraft and deceiving people. There probably could have been some, some poor people that come by and said, Hey, uh, I'll pay you this much money if you'll give me the power to get more. Maybe there were some people that were sick and they, they brought them to, to, to Simon saying, hey, if you have that ability, that sorcery, maybe you can heal him. I'm sure there's a lot of things that he had seen in his life and he was saying, hey, I want this power. I want to be able to share it with other people. I want to show other people what I've seen. And that's exactly what we need to show as well. Regardless, God, nor his power or his blessings can be bought. And because of Simon's spiritual ignorance, he needed to be rebuked and taught to be separated from sin. And that's what we find, number four this morning, separation from sin, as we look at verses 20 through 24. But Peter said unto him, thy money perish with thee, because thou hast taught, or excuse me, thou hast thought, that the gift of God may be purchased with money. Thou hast neither part nor lot in this matter, for thy heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent, therefore, of this thy wickedness, and pray, God, if perhaps that, that the thought of thine heart may be forgiven thee. For I perceive that thou art in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. Then answered Simon and said, Pray ye to the Lord for me, that none of these things which ye have spoken come unto me. Peter told Simon that, this thought of purchasing the spiritual gift was something he didn't quite understand. As a spiritual babe, again, he was just newly saved. He, he needed to, to, to gain some understanding, if you would, in his life. And some people sin because they don't know right from wrong. They, have, they haven't gained the understanding that they need to understand what sin is or what sin is not. This is an area that we all need to become a little more familiar with. Again, sin is a voluntary departure from a rule or duty prescribed by God. 
God has given us uh, different things throughout Scripture that have been outlined that we are to do and we are to follow. And that's why we need to go back in the Bible and study it for ourselves and know it. Sin can be associated with our actions, with our words, and even our thoughts. Again, any sin we commit breaks our fellowship with God. This is why salvation begins with confessing our sins to God, asking Him to forgive us. Peter told Simon that his heart was not right in the sight of God in verse number 21. Once we know we have sinned, we need to go to God and repent. Again, that's what verse 22 tells us. Repent, therefore, of this thy wickedness and pray to God. If perhaps the thought of thine heart may be forgiven thee. Repent, not only for our actions, but also for the thoughts and the intentions of our hearts. Again, God knows everything about you. And even your thoughts, even though others may not. God knows everything. God sees, God hears it all. And again, repentance is changing our heart and mind. We often, again, use the illustration of, of changing direction or going in the opposite direction of the, the way we were heading. So we need to learn to repent, turn away from those things which are pulling us away from God and go back toward God with our lives. Verse number 24, Simon wants help from the apostles to grow in knowledge. Again, as verse 24, then answered Simon and said, pray ye to the Lord for me that none of these things which ye have spoken come unto me. He's asking for help. Look, uh, I want you to pray for me. Help me to grow. Help me to understand. Help me to, to draw closer to the Lord that I'll know right from wrong. And again, this is something that we should all be faithfully doing, praying, asking the Lord, help me not to fall away. Help me to not to fall into sin. Help me to know the difference and grow. You know, this past week at camp, every meal when we went in, they said the camp verse, which is 2 Peter chapter 3, verse number 18. But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To Him be glory both now and forever. Amen. We need to make sure we're taking time to grow, not only in grace, but in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And looking at Simon the sorcerer this morning, do you find yourself in one of these categories? Do you know the spiritual power of God? Is there some spiritual ignorance in your life that may have separated you from God that needs to change? I hope you can take what is said this morning and find success in your life. We look here as a sorcerer. But what happened to this sorcerer? He got saved. That's success in his life. What about you this morning? Do you have success spiritually in your life? I'm going to ask that you bow your heads and close your eyes this morning. These verses we looked at are a perfect example.